<laughs> okay, well, welcome back, everyone, to the Black and Brown Get Down. We are here once again with my partner, Joe. What's popping, Joe? Ah, oh, not much, Mary. Just, you know. Uh, before you be... get too heavy. Look, don't get too heavy yet. I'm just saying, you know, I'm just glad to be back here on the Black and Brown Get Down. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate you and the team. So, yeah, let's do this thing yeah. moving. Today, I feel like it's going to be a heavy one. But before we get too uh, deep, um, what what's that Adele song? Rolling in the Deep? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Do, do, yeah, do, before do, we get too yeah. uh, like Adele, let's uh, turn up with her minus the white girl Bantu Knots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> She had to do that. Right? I had to do the her. double check. Like, wait, what? Listen, we all love her. She did not have to do that. Anyway, <laughs> happy belated birthday. Well, your birthday was yesterday. I, I did talk to that. you yesterday. Yeah. So yes. um, listen, let's just turn up real quick. Have a quick hey. little shot, a cocktail, a drink. Um, <laughs> oh, you see, you got that on hand. Oh, yeah. Already. Yes. <laughs> you already know that. Um, happy birthday, Joe. Listen, this one, I, can, are we allowed to say your age? Yeah, it's cool. I ain't okay. All right. I'm. Yeah. I'm. Go ahead. And be vulnerable. It's fine. All right. Oh, okay. Vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Brene Brown would be proud. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, cheers to 35 and many, many more. More life. More blessing. More abundance. And more living in your purpose in 35. Let's go. Thank you. Cheers. So much. Appreciate that. Listen now, don't be smacking your drink. Mm-hmm. I'm like one of those weird people that when I hear people chew and when I hear people like smack drink, yeah, kind of, ooh, it's like, like this. Yeah, it's like this pain back in the the back of your I, ear. It's, it's like, like a pain ah. in my soul. Yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah. Um, and so don't do it. Listen, All people right, who man. slurp. There are a, a ton of people in my office. Um, I won't name names, Taylor, who loves to slurp. Yes. Like, fam, it's no need for that. Got you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, happy birthday and glad you're back with us. And with that, we'll just start and jump right into it because this shit ain't going to feel good. Um, you know, we're going to bring up Jacob Blake, Jacob Blake, a young black man who, a uh, young black father who was um, shot um seven times in his back uh by the coward ass kenosha police department uh and uh he was shot in front of his children Mm. and um you know they wanted him dead but god uh, and so we're also going to talk about uh, Trayford Pellerin, um, a brother out of Lafayette. And so for, you know, those of us that think it's not happening in our backyard, it's absolutely happening everywhere. Um, and knowing that, you know, we still are awaiting justice for Brianna Taylor uh, and so many others who we don't know their name um, because for some reason it didn't make the news cycle or we don't know right um, because we're we're not living locally in that place and so I just wanted to bring that up because um, you know this shit is tired and I'm tired very very tired it's so exhausting to get in like just pop on social media and it's kind of like you don't want to become desensitized, but it's like, I don't really want to see this right now. Right. Um, 
But yeah, I need so, to see it because yeah. I have to be able to connect with it. And honestly, that kind of fuels the fire. It's like, okay, I see this now. I got to get, I got to hit the pavement. And then right. not only that, other people from other communities are finally seeing this. Like, for example, um, Sean McVay, HBO is hosting, you know, they do this show rather uh, called Hard Knocks where they team up with the NFL team uh, during the preseason activities. There's a recording of him reacting to that. But see, pre- previously, they didn't, we didn't have these outlets. We didn't have the ability to just pull up something on online and like, damn, they shot him? Like, damn, right. that's fucked up. Like, just his reaction alone is... It's like, okay, something in him is changing right now. Whereas before he would have heard about it and was like, oh man, I screwed up. But now he's seeing it. So as he's seeing it, it's like, okay, cool. There's something something ain't cool about this. So it's like straight up trash. If we're at this point, September 2020, and you still think it's, you know, all love and all good. Because it's not, you know. Um and it also makes people stray away from this whole narrative of saying, hey. You know, he could have did something different. No, here you have a man who wasn't even involved in the altercation that the police were called. He was there trying for. to break it up. Right. And he's putting his children in the car, walking along so he can go on about his business. And you are such a coward that you're going to hold his shirt and shoot him seven times in the back yeah. as he's trying to walk away from a situation. It's like, come on now, like, let's let's kill that whole narrative about uh, cooperating with what police say. No, some some of these police officers are legit cowards. You cooperate all you want, they're gonna kill. Like, they come. You gotta take an L. Like, screw your pride. Yes, somebody's walking away from that. They're walking away. It's trying to get away from you. So if it's if 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 like if you're bothered by the fact that they're trying to get away, just radio in his his license plate. Send him a ticket. Yeah. And the hard part, right, is that now people are actually taking to the streets and and taking action. And then you have um, you have children, right, who are taking it upon themselves and um, to show up at protests. Right. Who have been uh, who came up in this uh, conservative, ultra conservative, fascist, you know, KKK type of households and are uh, killing, shooting and killing protesters and shooting and killing people who are out there, um, you know, really hitting the streets because right. this shit is unacceptable. And so we're talking about Kyle Ritterhouse um, and his mama and whoever else drove him to that damn protest. Yes. Right. Um, because we know that. Um, even when we're in the streets, we're not safe, but we have to, I mean, silence isn't going to save us. Right. And it should also teach us that, um, we're not going to age out. I used to be someone on some real shit. I used to be someone who thought, you know, well, when the baby boomers, you know, who are conservative and, you know, they're no longer with us, um, Mm -hmm. like we'll be in a better place because most people understand. Most people are on social media. They get it. You know, like, no, they don't actually, because when you've been brought up in something, the Mm -hmm. seed is in you. It's just been watering this whole time. And that's not for everybody. I get that, but we're not going to age out of this. And so we must continue to struggle. We must continue to fight Um, and not just fight against, um, you know, ideology and, uh, and groups that are actually forming, but entities like Facebook who knew that this uh, group existed, that this event existed and, 
there were numerous times, I think over 450 times that people uh, reported it. And guess what? They did nothing. Nothing. They did nothing. All. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, Facebook moderators and uh, what's your boy's name? I forget. He's so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't even think of his name. Right. He's so um, about now. <laughs> do with the gray shirt. Do with the gray shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Then you got the police who are uh, saying like, oh, thank you. We appreciate you. What? To Kyle. Like, right. you know, uh, yes. then we have someone else who's 17 years old, right? Khalif uh, Browder, who didn't get a chance to live his life, right? He was oh. in such deep depression off of some bullshit and off of uh, not having his due process and not having any justice for himself, right? That uh, he ended up uh, on several times attempting to commit suicide and eventually, you know, committed suicide. And that is a part of the structural violence and state sanctioned violence that is upon us daily. Yes. Daily. Uh, Cause we can take those two situations in con- into comparison. So here's one individual who is in prison and here's this other individual by the name of Kyle Rittenhouse, who is currently sitting comfortably in ju- in a juvenile detention center. So you have somebody who picked up an AR 15 took it to a city that he did not live in, killed two people, passed the police, got a, essentially got a high five, made it all the way back home and then got arrested, who is now sitting in juvenile detention center where individuals from the black and brown communities are consistently being tried as adults for whatever the crime is. So this, this shit is yeah. exhausting. And I appreciate the WNBA, the NBA, the baseball team, you know, the Brewers, the Bucks, you know, Naomi Osaka, the tennis player who uh, said we wouldn't pay, play, right? We're not going to play. And so big ups to them, right? That's cool. Uh, but as you should be sacrificing, mm-hmm. right? Your platform is because of us, right? right? You should be yeah. sacrificing. But we also have to, you know, help them think about what is the like actual, what are we trying to win here, right? Right. Uh, because you know, they missed, missed a game or so, then they came back with their you know, Black Lives Matter gear. We didn't win anything, but no. we really could have, right? And so, uh, helping people who have influence, who have uh, a platform, really get to the what can we win, right? What are the types of um investments that we need from the people that you can ask, right? In organizing, mm-hmm. we're always thinking about ask, what is our ask? And um, and thinking about like, what can make our community safer? What can it make our community more whole? What is the actual goal here? How can we make investments into the local leadership so that the local leadership can be prepared to fight, you know, uh, so that we don't consistently have to reach out to this national network, this national, you know, I mean, there are some national organizations that are doing their thing. Shout out to Until Freedom, who has been 
um, with Brianna Taylor's, in yeah. yeah, in Kentucky, um, you know, really pushing for justice there. But we also need local leadership, right? So <laughs> Milwaukee Bucks, you know, uh, NBA players, WNBA players, baseball players, y'all should be investing into local organizations so that we have local homegrown leadership. Right. Um, and I think yeah. we also need to get to the point of where we're having some sort of symposium. We need to come together as a collective unit and develop these goals, you know? Um, So it's like, if you have the platform and the resources to be a catalyst for this change that we want to seek, it's time for you to step up. Don't just miss a game. I need you to put your money where your mouth is, your ideas where, you know, yeah, and we've seen different organizers who have pushed this type of action, right? And now you have Oprah with her magazine and she bought out like, you know, hundreds of uh, billboards for Brianna Taylor and put her on the cover and that's cool. And we need to make sure that that is in um, in conjunction with like strategies that are, you know, being led by people who, who do organizing work so that we can uh, continue to, you know, uh, make sure that this momentum is building for us to get justice. So, look, we sorry that we had to start off so deep, but um, this is that real, you know, real life. And I know that, you know, we're tired of it, but we had to keep moving. We got to keep building. And we hope that you'll continue to join us for these conversations, as well as for the political education that we need so that we can continue to grow and win. Next, we're actually going to talk to uh, someone who has been doing this for over 30 years, um, the most amazing Rosa Clemente, an organizer, political commentator, and independent journalist. She's an Afro-Puerto Rican um, woman who has dedicated her life to organizing scholarship and activism. She is uh, a real one. I I don't even know how else to say it. Uh, (laughs) Rosa is, is everything. <laughs> yes, um, she uh, has really spent her time, you know, in uh, different communities doing the grassroots organizing as well as the scholar activism. You know, she was one of the well, she, her, and Cynthia McKinney uh, were actually, you know, part of the 2008 Green Party ticket, and they were the first ever all black, uh, all women of color ticket. Um, in this country, which was huge. And in 2001, she changed my life uh, when she wrote uh, Who is Black? Uh, and since then, I have been, you know, on every, anytime I see a YouTube of Rosa, I'm on it. Anytime, you know, I see that she's put some work out, I'm on it because it's uh, such critical work, both for um, indigenous folks, for Afro-Indigenous folks, and for uh, anyone who really wants to grow and sustain in this movement. We are so honored and uh, deeply uh, just blessed to have you today. Uh, please welcome Rosa Clemente. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm I'm grateful. I know that you've been busy. I know, you know, the DNC uh, and all of the things that are happening right now in our um, different neighborhoods and different states. And so um, we just thank you for your work, especially, you know, I was just mentioning that we were supposed to have a Category 3 hurricane here in uh, New Orleans come through tomorrow. Uh, but, you know, just deeply grateful for also your work that uh, you've done around um, 
um, Puerto Rico and around the hurricane there. Uh, it's just some of the reporting. I remember your Facebook lives, some of those things we would have never seen uh, if you weren't on the ground. And so we thank you for that. Thank you. I, pre- I really appreciate that. Thank yeah. You. Thank you for that, Rosa. Um, I wanted to shift gears a little. Um, what's the earliest memory of your of community that you draw from and uh, whose spirit do you bring to you with this work? Well, my first big organizing experience was, um, was I, so- I might have been a sophomore about to be a junior. And that was 1992. Now I would have been a sophomore. Um, <clears throat> the rebellion, the uprising in L.A. LA after the Rodney King, the cops got off for killing Rodney King. Okay. <clears throat> because for our generation, that was the first time we actually had seen tape. So we knew like, this has got to be a different moment. And in a way it was because it was caught on video. And then in that same time, there were already like massive tensions in LA um, be, uh, especially the Korean American community and the African American community, because about a year and a half before Rodney Keene, a young 14 um, year old black girl was killed by a Korean shop owner because the Korean shop owner said she stole some juice and she shot her right in the store, like point blank. Her wow. name was, is Natasha Harleen's. So already there was like all these tensions already. And then Rodney King becomes kind of the first visible police brutality that we could actually see. And then the cops get indicted, but then they move the case to Simi Valley, which is one of the most racist, whitest parts of California, mm-hmm. you know, and the officers walked out, um, um, walked off. And that night, obviously the rebellions began again in LA and we were on campus. And I think by that time I might've been, just voted into being the president of the Black Student Union um, in SUNY Albany, which is the state system here in New York. So the state public education system. And, you know, I just remember getting a call from the president of the university asking me and some of the other leaders, like, we have to do a town hall tomorrow. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we have to shut everything down and we have to have this space which, which was good what he did, but also later on that night, we, as college students, went into the community. And in a lot of college towns, there's always this divide. Like, I can talk to students five miles away from where I live that never leave SUNY Albany. They don't come into the larger Albany community. So when we went into Arbor Hill, which is the Black community here in Albany, you know, thousands of people marched that night, which is a lot because Albany is not that big of a city. So that was probably the first, yeah, that was definitely the first big rally and protest that I had. In terms of my my mentors, I mean, I have four. One was Dr. Vivian Verdell Gordon, and she was actually the first Black woman to get her PhD from the University of Virginia. She encouraged me to... to um, leave my major political science and become an Africana studies major. But through her and her connections, I then would end up meeting Dr. James Turner, who um, is known in the field of Black studies for coining the term scholar activism. 
He was friends with Malcolm X, but he also was at Cornell University and created one of the first Black Studies departments that actually last year we celebrated 50 years of his work at Cornell, which is in Ithaca, New York. He recruited me to then get my master's there. Through him, I met Kwame Ture. Well, I had met Kwame Ture before um, when I was a student. And then my mentor, um, who she's alive, uh, Dr. Maita Moreno Vega, who is really like, I always call her the godmother of anything and everything around this kind of term, Afro-Latino or Black Latino. She doesn't use that language. She says we're African descendants. But it was the first time I had met a Puerto Rican um, person that referred to herself as African descendant. And I mean, she is one of only two women of color in the whole country that actually has an institution that they built mm-hmm. from the ground up. So the Caribbean Cultural Center has been around now for 50 years, you know? And then when she did retire, she ended up going to Puerto Rico um, in Luisa, which is the African descendant community in Puerto Rico. And she went and started two more nonprofits. So like, she'll call me every day and be like, you're not doing enough. We need to do this. What are people doing? This is crazy. And I'm like, Martha, like, it's just, it's funny because it, she's just on it and she's also very real. She's mm. always like, you know, you need to take a break or like what you said was wrong or you're lining something wrong. So um, Dr. Gordon passed away very early. So the Kwame Ture, but Dr. Turner and Dr. Vega um, are still alive. So those are like the two, whenever they tell me I'm doing good, you know, and Dr. Cornell West, whenever those three are like, yeah, you're doing good. It's good when they're like, no, you need to like rethink this. That's exactly what I do. So, you know, I I don't like that this younger generation kind of, I wouldn't say disrespects elders, but kind of puts elders in this corner of like, they don't really have much to say or like it's young, we're doing things different. I'm like, protesting police brutality is not different we've been doing that for like 100 years like they've been on the ground from it so and i I just think like this younger generation literally thinks that everything just happened now and you're like this has been our history you know and the difference is that is that now in this time you have social media and this high visibility and also like the state decides who they think is dangerous or not. Mm -hmm. So the state is the one that will dictate like, yeah, that's what I want to see on TV every day because they're black, but they're not radical kind of stuff like that. And, and Martha always says that she's like, listen, when you start getting awards and you start getting asked to be on magazine covers, um, you're not doing something right. Mm-hmm. You know, Come so that on, get us together. that's real. <laughs> yeah. But you know, we, we also together. live in this age of uh, instant gratification, and that's what you see a lot of these young people hi- hyped on. It's like, okay, um, you know, they were doing things back in the day, but like, what has it gotten us? Like, it's not on the same platform, but they don't understand that it's a, it's a it's a whole shift. Like, the emergence of social media is is new. Like. Like you mentioned Rodney King and all that. Nobody really knew what was happening unless it was put on a TV. And that was seldom. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think, too, like with social media, obviously, and algorithms, then you end up getting caught in this echo echo chamber that, 
you think everything you're doing is right, or you actually think that everything you're doing is like super new and revolutionary, um, which is not true because if it was, you know, Jacob Blake wouldn't have been shot seven times. Um, like we just saw happen in Wisconsin the day before, you know, so it's not new. And it's sometimes at the end, uh, somebody said, um, uh, low ego, high impact. Mm -hmm. And and that's what really, I try to look at people and I'm like, if they're all about their ego and they're like saying everything, right. That's usually not the person I'm politically aligned with. Like, what is your impact? And does it really matter how many top 100 lists of something um, that you made? Like, I don't really care about stuff like that, you know? Listen, that's sage words right there. That's wisdom. Uh, A lot of the work that we do here at the Black and Brown Get Down is really around uh, creating the space for uh, cultural identity and like our traditions and rituals to meet politics and to meet the political um, work and specifically thinking about the political uh, sort of vehicle that we need to build Black folks, Brown folks uh, in coming together. Uh, but oftentimes we sort of just see one or the other, or we really just see the cultural piece, right? Um, so I'm wondering if you can uh, just talk to us a little bit about what, what would it look like um, for Black and Brown people to truly be um, connected and to bring unity around not just getting to know each other in the cultural sense, but also um, making sure that we're working together politically? Yeah, for younger people, they have to go through their their time, you know, like, you know, if you just got into movement work, it's going to take a while for um, you to understand all the politics of just like being part of these larger movements. But um, for me, I'm I'm more about operational unity. So I, I really don't care if someone likes me or I like somebody, what is like the goal that we're fighting for? So I think with this, with younger generation, like they believe sometimes that they have to also be like everybody's best friend in the movement. And I learned that very early in my college years, which was, look, I work with anybody because this is our goal, but we also don't all have to be friends and hang out and all of this kind of stuff because you're not in for me, you're not going into the movement, you know, just to like all of a sudden become friends and hang out, which obviously happens when you meet, you know, when you meet people and they become your family kind of stuff. So I think for younger people, there's this misnomer um, that like we all have to like each other. And I'm like, no, we have to like each other's politics. So like, if you're Puerto Rican fighting for statehood, like, I don't really give a fuck. Like, I'm not rolling with you. So, you know, because your politic is wax. I, I don't really care that you're Puerto Rican if you want statehood, you know. And mm-hmm. I actually don't have time at this point in my life to, like, argue with you why, you know, Puerto Rico will never be a state and why it shouldn't. You know, so um, I think when you're younger, you're more amenable to, like, really building community yeah building deep and going in deep and then when you're almost 50 you're like i have limited time on this planet so Mm -hmm. you know it just becomes easier to be like 
I don't wish you any harm. I just like your politic is whack and I'm not, you know, I don't need to be around it anymore. I don't need to be in this organization or I don't have to be at every meeting either. That's not, you know, the strength of a good organizer is not how many meetings you go to. It's really, you know, is your politic right? But also do you keep evolving as a, as a person and not stay stagnant? So for me, I see a lot of folks in my generation that are like, I guess, for lack of a better term, the hip hop generation, especially a lot of um, cisgendered men who are doing the same stuff they were doing when they were 25. I'm like, dude, you're about to be 50 and you're still like transphobic or homophobic or now you're writing a think piece about why Cardi B and Megan the Stallion right. are wars for the you know for for WAP like you really they need you to know. celebrate that WAP huh oh yeah like that <laughs> but also it, it it's also like grow up man yeah. you've been in this yeah. shit for 25 years yeah. you're still acting like a child you know and if you look recently with a lot of the hip hop notable men in my generation there's a reason they've been cast aside and pushed aside because they refuse to evolve um you know and also they refuse to say like homophobia is wrong transphobia is wrong hating queer people is wrong talking mm-hmm. about queer people you know going after a 23 year old girl because you got mad at her on twitter and right. you're 50 like no you know that's wrong you know and I, I i think that for me what i think i've been able to maintain a lot is and, and i know this for a fact one of my comrades was like yo People either like you for the saying about me when I was going, like, I was like, why is this happening? And he was like, either people like you or they don't, but they know that you have integrity. Mm. And that's what it really comes down to. Like, um, and I think my whole organizing and movement career is completely based on integrity, but also being able to be really honest when I've made mistakes, but also be firm when I think someone needs to be held accountable because of what they say and how it impacts particularly um, younger people and the kind of movements and formation that they are making. Yeah, you were one of the first people who I heard, um, especially when people were on the fence about calling out R. Kelly, about calling out um, Russell Simmons, you know, like all of these very big uh, folks in hip hop, uh, you were one of the first who was just like, you know, on camera, like, nope, uh, this is something that that cannot and will not be tolerated. And I remember, you know, when I was organizing in, in school and uh, just really uh, romanticizing, you know, the like Zulu and like Hip Hop Congress and all of these different organizations. And really so much of that was happening and being perpetuated within those organizations. Yeah. And it wasn't just me. It's like women like Joan Morgan and Dream Hampton and, um, you know, um, for a younger generation, Jamila Lemieux and just so many sisters that we've been within hip hop and our critique, we've been doing that for a long time, you know? So it's interesting because when I wrote this article about Russell Simmons in 2001, I was pretty much like exiled from the hip hop community in New York, like events and 
I would go to events and my <laughs> Russell would have my name on this list. Like, don't let her in. And I was, I went to this huge event where Chuck D was one, was going to be one of the panelists and some other brothers, Puerto Rican brothers, I think maybe Africa Bambad and some other mm. people. And Chuck was right behind me. And he's like, no, like she's coming in with me. And they were like, nah, Russell said she can't be in here. So Chuck was like, well, Rosa, let's go and let's go get some dinner. And he bounced with me. And I just remember that the conversation, I was like, yo, this is so crazy. Like, you know, for me, I was like, this is Chuck D. Like, mm. oh my God, you know? Yeah, you had your back, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but the thing is, if you look at Chuck D now, that's why he is one of the most respected mm. artists, but also has been able to have a lifelong career. Um, for many, many reasons. Uh, so it was like when Joan Morgan turned hip hop feminism, she was also talking to an older set of Black feminists that were saying she and me and all of us were just wrong because we, we, want, we were part of this kind of hip hop space. And, you know, so when that came out, it wasn't just men getting on her. It was like, some of the older black feminists that we saw as sheroes being like, there's nothing good that will ever come out of this culture. At that time, we were like, no, if we hold people accountable. So it was like DJ Cutting Candy, April mm-hmm. Silver. I mean, Shout so many. Yeah, yeah so many. So, Tony Blackman, like so yep. Raquel Cepeda, Raquel Rivera, so many sisters, you know. Um, but I think once a lot of us hit 40, we were like, yeah, this shit is dead. Like hip hop is dead in the, in this way. So I say that Russell's story because right now, 19 years later, we find out that he sexually yeah. and raped a lot of women. And um, this documentary that came out called On the Record focuses on Jude Dixon, one of the women he raped. And I actually interviewed her for my show and at the end of the interview, she says, I love black men. Why can't they love us back? Mm. And I was like, oh, this is deep. And then I had a lot of people be like, you you were right about Russell in 2001. But yeah. but but do you, you I don't think he raped somebody. I'm like, there's a reason he's in Bali. It's a non extradition right. country. Like, right. why the hell do you think he moved there? Like, he was like, oh, I'm going to Bali one day. And then if you look at all the women he dated and married, Kamora Lee Simmons was 15. He had to get permission. Her mother had to sign some paper for him to marry her, which is what we saw R. Kelly, R. With, Kelly Aaliyah. with Aaliyah. Yeah. And in fact, today is the, what, 19th year? Yeah. No, today's the... 19th year that today yeah, that Aaliyah, Aaliyah died because we went South Africa for the World Conference Against Racism in 2001. Um, and she died while we were there in that plane crash. You know, and then you see what Dream Hampton did with this R. Kelly, you know, docuseries. Yeah, and you great. see that her parents knew, you know, and, and, and to this day, I'll, I can be in a conversation with some older brothers and they're like, he really didn't do all that. I'm like, what the, f- like, what else needs to happen? 
Like he's in jail for life. He's not going anywhere. So like right. there, there has been this because of Toronto and Burke's work and me too. And just kind of like a new generation of younger women and actually an entire generation of younger people that do not partake in hip hop in any way like we did around the politics. And mm. I think, you know, the blow to a lot of hip hop politics and a lot of us just basically being like, this is a wrap for us as women and, and queer and trans folks, this just is too toxic was when Africa Bambada and the story came out around him molesting um, not one, but several young boys. And um, And that was crushing to the community. It it was very crushing. Like me me and Cut and Candy wrote a piece about it. And it was probably the hardest thing we ever had to write because every one of my experiences with Africa Bambada were just straight love and community and like, talking with him for hours right but when the brother came out and other people came out me and dj cut and candy were like nah we have to say something it was probably the first time i wrote something where not i would say 90 percent of the people i asked to sign were like i'm not signing that um mm-hmm. so it was just like a couple of us and after that me and candy kind of made this pack like you know well, we are part of the hip hop generation, but we can no longer participate in these toxic spaces. There's only so many more videos we can call out people and conversations, conference calls, editorials. Like, you know, it's not changing. Um, and I would rather like leave a space like that because we tried for 20 years to, mm. to do something in that hip hop space. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, right now you're working on uh, the Black Latinx Organizing Project. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, yeah, I actually just renamed it the Black Diasporic Organizing Project. The goal will be to bring together particularly like Afro-Latinos, Black Latinos, and other African descendant people in this country um, to uplift those narratives way more and to have us come together and be part of political agendas that deal with us as um, Black, Latino, Latina people or Afro-Latino in the United States. Yeah, that the goal is to do that, but to really uplift um, stories because it, luckily I, I've been working on this um, Fred Hampton movie that's about to come out, um, or mm-hmm. uh, the movie inspired by the life of Fred Hampton, you know, and... Um, and talking to his son for Hampton Jr. in these last three years while we've been working on this movie of his father um, and what happened to the Black Panther Party in Illinois, that assassination. You know, I was like, this is the perfect example because when Fred Hampton, um, when Fred Hampton was doing what he was doing in Chicago, plus he was only 23 when he was murdered by the state and the FBI and all of that, um, one of his comrades was Chacha Jimenez, who at that time was running a gang called the Young Lords. And one night he met Fred Hampton and Fred's like, yo, bro, you got to stop doing this. You're destroying your community. And Chacha Jimenez um, cre- moved the Young Lords out of um, set gang activity and made it into the Young Lords party. And anytime mm-hmm. you see stuff on Fred Hampton that's mainstream, they never talk about the fact that he coined the term Rainbow Coalition, that he's the one that brought 
Native people, white people at at that time, Port, Puerto Rican people, the Brown Berets, um, you know, and his one of his most famous speeches is like, we need all power. We need white power, black power, red power. He goes, because the enemy is the um, the the. Uh, the enemy is capitalism and militarism, right? Um, so one of the times I was on the set, Chacha was on the set, and it was a very intense day, one of the scenes that was being filmed. And I talked to Chacha later, and he goes, I'll always regret not staying longer with him that night. Mm-hmm. And what he was talking about is that they were just, like, talking somewhere about politics, and Chacha was like, oh, I need, I, I got to go home. Let me get ready for our protest tomorrow. Five hours later, that's when he found out um, that Fred Hampton and Mark Clark have been assassinated. Oh, wow. So he was like the last one to see Fred alive, except the people in the house. Um, but it really showed particularly like um, African-American and Puerto Rican unity and solidarity. And one of the reasons you see that a lot in social justice movements is because as African-Americans, Puerto Ricans, we're the same. We have this American citizenship that really might as well mean nothing, right? So what does it matter that African-American Puerto Ricans are citizens when we treat it as third-class citizens? So in working in the movie and seeing seeing Fred and, you know, these last three years, it's very important um, that we, we told the right political line because there's this idea that if you do, people won't hear you, which is why I think our stories and narratives are important. And even in this whole filming process, you know, Fred would always be like, yeah, I, I don't like that. I'm gonna, and I'm gonna say something about it when the movie comes out. And um, Ryan Coogler, it's his first film. Well, he just finished Space Jam, but it's his first film he produced post Black Panther. You know, and the conversations were just so dope. And some of them were definitely struggles, but very principled. And what I told mm. Fred is like, I'd rather you have been on the set and part of this. Somebody was going to make this movie. Thank God it's trying Kugler, Shafi Keen, Charles Keen, and you that made it. You know, and the thing is, Fred's like, I still have critiques. And Ryan was like, and that's good. You should, you know, right, and, yeah. you know, like, of course we would, we would expect nothing less, you know, but being and seeing the breadth of what a Hollywood quote movie looks like, but what it's going to do for a lot of younger people. I kept telling Fred, like, yo, as much as I want to tell you that younger people know who your father is, which he doesn't call him his father. He calls him his comrade or your mother who's alive, who he also calls her comrade. Um, they're not going to know about him. So at least let's use this movie as a political teaching tool, you know, and kind of like not depend on Hollywood, but definitely like always be at the table when our stories are told and, and make it clear to those in power that you're not going to make a movie about Fred Hampton senior without his family being intimately involved in that right. movie from the, the process from the beginning to the end. And how, when is that movie coming out? Like, when, well, when it, it, the trailer just dropped? The trailer dropped uh, two weeks ago. It actually would have, it would have came out this past Friday, the 21st. 
Okay. Um, but Warner Brothers is very committed to a theatrical release. So they're looking at next year. Yeah, the trailer trailer has dropped. It's pretty incredible. Da- Daniel Kaluuya, who's, I, I mean, you just got to see the trailer. I, I mean, I remember being on the set and being almost like, I was so mesmerized because I couldn't believe, because he, he's from London via mm-hmm. Africa. He has an accent. Um, but also Fred Hampton and Fred, the son, have a very particular Midwest like accent. <laughs> and they speak really fast. And when I was watching this scene, and I think he the scene took 19 takes, and I looked at Daniel Kalua and also um, Lakeith Stanfield, who plays the FBI snitch, um, William O'Neill. I was like, this is shit, this is crazy. Like mm. he's embodied the entire spirit of Fred Hampton. And and that had to do with also um, Dominique Braxton, who plays Apu and Jerry, Fred's mom, Fred the comrade that survived that assassination and many meetings that they had, you know, so Warner Brothers is committed. Um, Shaka King, the writer has made a masterpiece and to have Charles King who right now in Hollywood is like doing anything and everything black through his company macro. And then of mm. course, Ryan Coogler, like it, it was an incredible experience. So it'll be out next year. But yeah, everybody should watch the trailer because um, we need to know Fred's story. Like right now, everything Fred Hampton was talking about 50 years ago is actually what we're living. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Thank you for that. Yeah. And shout out to uh, Fred Fred Hampton uh, Jr. We got a chance to connect a lot. He was close with my cousin when he was organizing uh, years ago in in Oakland and spending a lot of time there. Um, Yeah, he lived there for a while. And in fact, he was just on TV now with um, the family of Jacob Blake in Kenosha. Um, Mm. He texted me. He's like, I'm going to be on the ground. And then I just saw him. And um, I think that's the most incredible thing about Fred is he like goes where the as he always says, needed, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. always says the the streets are my office, you know. Yeah. And also with that, um, with this movie and this whole process, we were able to help Fred and his family save the house that his father grew up in mm. in Maywood, Illinois. And now there's I think a community, I saw that. Yeah. yeah, community garden, a youth program. Um, they're trying to get the house next door. You know, but even with all of that, it's interesting that even though now they have the money to fix everything, the city keeps citing them as they're in the process of fixing things. They go there every day and give them fines. Right. And I mean, Fred would say it. I would say that the state never forgets. Like what it really comes down to is Fred should have not been born. Akua and Jerry was in the house with Fred and Mark Clark. 190 bullets went through that house. Akua survived and she was eight months pregnant with Fred. And Fred always says, the first thing I ever felt was the barrel of a gun when Mm. I was in my mother's stomach. And what it really was was they knew she was pregnant. So they were trying to kill all of them. And the only reason Akua survives that is that was some ancestors protecting her that legacy, because yeah. it was also December 4th, 1969. They made her walk out of the house almost naked. 
right? Wow. And here she has seen her comrade shot, her partner shot, another comrade, and eight months pregnant, and Fred would be born less than two months later. Oh. I, and definitely the state didn't want this, any legacy of Fred Hampton Sr., and they did not win that, you know? Uh, wow. Thank you. Yeah, that's a whole listen. That's a whole <laughs> lesson right there. That's a whole right. course. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, so um, you were the first Black Puerto Rican woman on a presidential ticket that I've ever known about. Um, Joe Biden just picked Kamala Harris as his uh, running mate. It's a historic moment for Black women, Black people in this country um, to have a Black woman in a major party nomination. Uh, but what do you think we should really be taking from this moment? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, Kamala's a top cop, you know, and that's her legacy. I mean, she's the one that started a, um, making the police in California arrest the parents of students who were truant. Um, she put a lot of Black people in jail for marijuana, um, and other charges, you know. So, I, I mean, I'm not a Democrat. I I um, became a Democrat to be able to um, vote for Julian Castro, who was the first person outside of, uh, it, within the two-party system that I have ever endorsed. And then when mm, he dropped, I, yeah. Yeah, I endorsed Bernie Sanders and the movement for Bernie Sanders because there was a movement for Bernie Sanders with a lot of Black women, um, you know, the thing is that people look at this nominating process and like, you know, a lot of black women supported Elizabeth Warren. I'm like just as many black women, brown women um, supported Bernie Sanders. You know, um, it was clear that he wasn't going to get the nomination those last couple of weeks, because when you look at what happened, when um, Amy Klobuchar drops out within two days, the rest of them drop out and they right. coalesced around Joe Biden. Right. Um, um, so he had to definitely, of course he had to pick a woman and of course she had to be a black woman. She's black mm -hmm. and South Asian or black and Indian. Her mother's from India. Um, and of course he'd have to pick someone that, you know, loves being called the top cop and the top prosecutor of the state of California. I, um, you know, beyond that, I don't, I have no faith in the elected political project. I think it's dead. I think it's been dead for a long time. When you have two parties that are filled with millionaires and billionaires, when you have a DNC that will, um, you know, still give Mike Bloomberg more time to speak at the convention than Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or you don't see Ayanna Pressley, Rashad or Talib, Rashida Talib, or Ilhan Omar, it pretty much tells you where the DNC is at. Um, so I think they're 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 hoping, obviously, for a large turnout, which will happen. But I don't see how the Democrats win with all the voter suppression. I don't see how they win with the dismantling of the U.S. Postal Service. And you know, either way, our people better be physically like prepared to defend their lives. If mm. Trump wins, what we've seen, there'll be no comparison. He's just going to go rogue. We're talking mm. about nuclear war to everything, all the line down. If he loses, 
he already has these white supremacist militia ready to defend him not leaving the White House. These aren't secrets. These are things that they are saying. Have been publicly, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's right. like, I, I keep asking who who's going to be the person that actually goes in there and physically removes him if he's the commander in chief. The top cop? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, like who's actually going to, how does that happen? And then, um, you know, the voter suppression is going to be no joke. And yeah. look, I got a lot of friends that are, all in on this electoral stuff and registering people to vote and all that. For me, I'm like, y'all do that. I don't do that. You know, I don't do that. Um, I'm still going to vote for Bernie Sanders and, and write in myself. And that's that, you know, I live in New York. It's pretty much a safe state for, for Biden. Um, but look, the two things too, that I think people need to be aware is that both Biden and Harris have said, they will not defund the police, that they want more money for the police, and that they will not fight for Medicaid for all. They've already said that. So what, what then? You're yeah. already telling us what you're not going to do. Meanwhile, the Republicans are like, we're going to do everything, including cold language to get our militias ready to run up in all these capitals with their guns and their uniforms and all that. You know, meanwhile, the Democratic Party is like, oh, if we just play by the rules, well, then that's ridiculous. What rules? Whose rules? Right. right. These dudes are maniacs. They're going to yeah. try to hold on to power in any way. And then what's going to happen if the Democratic Party loses, they're going to blame it on black people. Yeah. Right. Meanwhile, black you're women like, specifically yeah, because that ticket is so sure. that block is so right. hard. They're gonna, you know, look. It was so crazy yesterday. I'm reading this article about Stacey Abrams. She said her favorite book is Atlas Shrugged from Ayn Rand, who is one of the most racist white women to ever write a book. <laughs> right. And she also said in this interview. Oh, I'm willing to still work with Republicans. I'm like, you're willing to work with the dude who stole the election from you? Mm -hmm. That's a lot of that's that's a lot of forgiving, huh? That's a lot of forgiveness. Like like you won that election, but you're willing to work across the aisle. What fucking aisle? These Republicans are batshit crazy right now. But then it's always the Democrats and younger people who they're like, oh, have some faith. Faith in what? Yeah. we have 50 million po- right, people right now that are literally food insecure and a president who's like, nah, just send your kids to school like an experiment. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, let's see. Let's send 500 kids to school in a public high school like here in Albany. And, and, and think- literally experimenting with our children's lives like this is insane. Yeah. And the tension is we're really getting messages like, you know, when they go low, we go high, you know. Uh, And so that's the main tension. Right. What's on the streets right now that's saying abolish the police. Right. And then these other messages that are more, um, you know, about being moderate and about specifically, you know, uh, being forgiving and being graceful. And the tension really lies right there. Yeah. And I I think the biggest thing is this, that the Democrats, they want a Democrat, the president and vice president. 
So what it really is, is that both these parties have a belief in the American presidency. So the Democrats are just mad that Trump represents the American presidency because they just want one of them to represent the American presidency, not to change it, not to change the conditions, just like he shouldn't be the president, we should be the president and still do all the things that he's been doing, but kind of be nicer about it and bring people to the White House and then throw them under the bus, right? So these Democrats, most of them who are multimillionaires are in line with the Republicans who are mostly multimillionaires. Like we have to make sure people have faith in this president, this American presidency. And what we're gonna see in this election is they're gonna see millions and millions of young people who have no faith and are not going to be standing in lines to vote while they're seeing people get shot in the back. And there's just been another police murder in Lafayette, Louisiana as well. That's not getting the same attention, but um, there's been 120 men and women um, um, killed or um, put in the hospital like Jacob Blake, who has survived. There's been 120 shootings since George Floyd. Wow. Yeah. You know, so that a modern day lynching didn't change the police from straight killing black and brown men, women and and trans and queer folks. So Uh, as a millennial, I feel like, you know, we're doing uh, what we can, but nobody came out the gate, you know, straight fire like Gen Z. And so salute to them. but I also know that, you know, your daughter, Alicia, um, is a part of that movement, a part of that generation. Uh, what uh, advice do you have for um, folks in Gen Z? Well, I mean, you know, like you said, especially during everything the last three or four months, they've all come to, you know, really take the streets. And um, one thing I love about this generation of new activists that are black and brown is that they're beyond unapologetic about who they are, but they also are very clear in telling white people to like step back. You know, you take our leadership or leave our movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're also very clear um, that they will not allow for transphobia or homophobia or patriarchy doesn't mean it doesn't happen in some spaces. What it means is like my daughter's protesting, then a younger brother tries to take her, you know, the the megaphone and she's like, yeah, we won't be having patriarchy up in here, you know? And she's like, I'll keep it moving, um, but you're not taking the bullhorn away from me. So um, that's, uh, I love that, you know? I always think of um, the Black Panther Party documentary that came out about three years ago by Stanley Nelson and one of the elder Black Panthers goes, the best thing about the Black Panther Party was our youth mm-hmm. and what we were ready to do. The worst thing about the Black Panther Party is our youth and what we were willing to do. So he's like, yes, that energy is important, but it also has to come into a mass movement. And right now, I think that what this generation has done is also put a lot of athletes and celebrities on notice, like pick a side or you are not in our community. So like seeing the NBA, right? Like every night wearing Black Lives Matter shirt, 
to some people that's like, and, and then to me, I'm like, it's fucking LeBron James, dude. Like it's all of them. They have to now not only represent Black Lives Matter, but LeBron and them, and obviously Colin Kaepernick, I think the NBA, I think has been the best. The players are like, we will not play. Like, so it's not just about us. All you owners better get on Zoom and you better say Black Lives Matter and you better put it on on the court thing. And you better believe that I'm going to say something every day. And I actually think LeBron has just been a hundred like on point with everything. And that is a big deal when young people in our community, this is often who they look up to. Right. So they're also doing it with artists or or being like, yo, I don't care how many movies you make. If you ain't saying Black Lives Matter, support an organization, we're not supporting you. So I think that that's really important. But I also think what young people always have to be worried about is the co-optation. And you can see very quickly the corporate co-optation of the movement, but also like how police quickly change. Like they're like, yeah, let's just kneel with them for a second. So they think we're with them. Right. So like within a week now, all of a sudden police are kneeling. I'm like, I don't need y'all kneeling. Why y'all even here? Like, why are you turn your badge and turn your gun? Like if you want to be real, like, you know, you could get another job. Right. But you know, that's been real, but the performative corporate aspect is crazy because Amazon is firing black people for organizing, but yet lifts up a black lives matter flag and a red, black and green flag over their headquarters while they're literally um, firing people like Chris Smalls who just wanted safer working conditions. So then like you have to see black lives matter with Amazon. And a lot of us are like, but obviously black workers don't matter. You know, so that that to me is young people pick that up real quick and they'll make some social media thing trend. And I think that's important for what it also is going to require. And every organizer has to do this. You have to come to a point where you have to process things. Mm -hmm. You have to write down. You have to sometimes be like, I've been going at this for six months. How do I process all this now? What does it mean? Where wasn't I good enough? How can I be better? Mm-hmm. Who wasn't involved? Like you have to be really introspective. But at this moment, because we're facing so many crises, yes, it is the generation. This generation should be the ones on the street. This is their fight. And people like me and uh, all of us that are over 45 doesn't mean we can't, we're not in the streets either. It means that we just shut up let you know respect what they're doing but also be able to have conversations like you know today that didn't go right because maybe you didn't listen to this or whatever um you know but my daughter's 15 and she's out here and she you know i have complete confidence that her and so many of her friends are doing all of that and definitely calling on us who are older to be like yo should we march here what should we do they said this how do i deal with that kind of stuff i think that's the role that I'm choosing um, to play right now to support my daughter and that generation and, and, and not be telling them what they can't do, you mm, know, cause yeah. that, that, that didn't, that didn't happen to me. There were, like I said, elders who'd be like, okay, if you're going to take over that building, you know, you might get suspended from school. And you're like, yes, I, I, 
or ready for the consequences of that. And I think this generation is definitely understands the sacrifice and consequences that come with um, fighting, you know, for liberation a lot better than we did. You just recently celebrated 17 years with your partner, uh, Justice. And so I'd love to just hear a little bit about uh, both that story and how that, um, you know, I love seeing you all on uh, social media, on IG, um, because it's uh, it's beautiful. And it's, you know, I know it's something that um, many of us look forward to in building. And uh, yes, yeah, so I just wanted you to, you know, just talk a little bit more about uh, the role of love, the role of partnership uh, for organizers. Yeah, when... Uh, and happy me, anniversary. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. When me and um just met, we met in, in Flatbush, Brooklyn, and um we had Alicia on January first, two thousand and five. And then nine months later I, I went down to New Orleans to cover um Katrina and the levee breach. And I think that was the first time where he's like, Yeah, I don't like you just had a baby shit is crazy down there I don't understand and I was like no I'll be fine you know so it wasn't like him being like don't go it was more like yo this is it's really bad down there and I was like no but I have to do this um and I did so um justice was like you know just as a brother from the streets you know his family has gone through so much um that so many of our brothers and sisters go through living in, in poverty and being incarcerated and then unfortunately, you know, seeing everyone around him be incarcerated and all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, so why it works with us is we're totally different. Like he mm. is very quiet and very like he's always the background looking around. Right. So it's I'm like in it and then he'll be like there, like surveying everything else and how other people are, are reacting and stuff like that. So that has never really been a problem with us. And then um, these last five years, while we've been living in Albany, New York, he works for the state of New York. Um, and because of him, we have health insurance. So without that, I wouldn't be able to do what I've been doing really the last five years, traveling and all my organizing and activist work and all of that. So um, the partnership is that, you know, mm-hmm. um, before I met him and, and I've heard a lot of my sisters in the movement, we've all gone through this. It's like, it's very rare that you're going to see like two movement people together and make it work. Um, there's one couple, Lamuba Bandeli and Monifa Bandeli, yeah. who a lot of people will probably know and are part of yeah. Malcolm X Grassroots Movement and all of that. And I'm like, they are the only two like at the same level with their movement work that are still together. And what I realize is like, I don't, with, with justice, like him growing up in these, in the conditions that he did made me realize that I was still privileged um, because I didn't grow up without those um, material resources. I had them. Um, and also that, you know, he's just like, 
can you not get arrested? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to get arrested. And like eight hours later, I'm like, yo, dude, I'm in jail. Like, I didn't mean it. It just happened. <laughs> and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, like, um, so I think, and this is the the one thing where I was like, we're always going to be, now I know for sure we'll be together for life. When I finished my coursework for my dissertation, I moved to LA in 2015. So, right, that was right during the Fer- uh, the Ferguson Rebellion, and I mm. went down, and I went with Talib Kweli and this poet Jessica Caremore, and there were a lot of us. But that night, um, we were part of a group that was cornered by like these police and like um, independent contractor police and they had m16s pointed at us and it was like 2 30 in the morning so i went home and i was like i gotta write this shit now i gotta get it out to people and then he calls and he's like yo why are you like on the ground with your hands up and an m16 pointed at you i was like yeah so last night (laughs) and he's like i told you and i was like i can't stop how the police are going to be. We moved to California and I joined the BLM chapter in LA, which is the most active one. We were there. We had just moved into our house and I just started teaching. (laughs) And I'm like, no, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go help. I'm not going to, they already have their plan. (laughs) I'm just going to go help. Right. For some reason that day I wore this crazy neon green sweatshirt that says something about got white. I don't know, something about white privilege. And I wasn't trying to get arrested. I was actually filming what was happening when the group of seven shut down the 101. And anybody who's been in California, and this was the day before Thanksgiving, knows the 101 on a regular is a nightmare. Yeah or obviously going to the airport. And the next thing I knew, the police officer grabs me and he's like, you're under arrest. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And I try to walk away and I ended up getting arrested, <laughs> right? And what happened, you know, like in LA for people that don't know, the helicopters are always get flying over. With, yeah, with the news. And yeah. then I was like, oh shit. He was all the way in in New York. (laughs) (laughs) And we had just moved to LA, and both him and my daughter were like, Mommy, uh, babe, don't get arrested. I'm like, No, I'll be back. And um, (laughs) when I got in the car with one of the comrades, you know, the cop cars, I was like, Shit, just must now know by now I got arrested. Plus, I also lost the keys to the car I drew up, and luckily, this car lot was like no no go protest and let the car there and then I think we were like locked up for like 11 or 12 hours and I come out and he's there he's like yo I thought you weren't gonna get arrested I was like it was not (laughs) my fault like he's like I saw it you're in a lime green thing everybody saw who you were and even my parents were like didn't you just move to LA like two weeks ago I was like yeah like, what are you You're doing? like, we out here in these streets. Already I, was like, up. <laughs> I was like, this is BLMLA. This is Melina Abdul and Damon Turner. I'm like, nah. And all I always say is like, I didn't mean it. <laughs> and my daughter's like, yo, the minute you left, I told daddy, daddy, get ready. Because mommy's going to be in jail tonight. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and just like that was a moment where I was just like, yo, this dude has my back unapologetically and sometimes he's like please like 
please like and then Ferguson getting tear gas and all of that mm. but the point of all of this is we've always talked about it um I didn't grow up in a movement household most of us don't grow up in movement right. households I became an organizer but my daughter now has grown up in the movement household right so she has grown up in this but also my movement family has helped raise my daughter Mm-hmm. You know, um, and my daughter is also very clear, like anytime they're out there, there's a potentiality, but she knows exactly what to do and how to respond. And at one point, I just have to trust that. I think it worries my parents a little bit more, but even my parents, which is interesting, like after this George Floyd thing, my mom calls me. She's like, where's the protest? I'm like, oh, they're happy to know all over. She's like, no, where's the protest I can go to? And I was like, what? You want to go to a protest? She's like, me and your dad worked 50 years for you guys to have a better life. We got to deal with this shit now. And then Hurricane Maria, then this in Puerto Rico. I'm going to protest. So I was like, just put your zip code. And I got a call from one of my friends like, your mom's in the streets with a sign right now in a, our little town of Westchester. And I was like, you went to a protest. She's like, I shouldn't be going to these for a long, long time. I was really Listen, happy. Mom was wearing yeah. that neon shirt too. No, huh? they my saw mom her. Was, she's they like, I need the, the Black Lives Matter shirt, the Puerto Rican flag. And I was like, holy shit. My mom has been supportive. So my dad, but to hear my mom be like, me and your dad are about to be 80. We cannot leave the house because of this shit. Mm. We did not work and leave all of this for you, for mm. me having to worry about Alicia walking out mm. and getting shot or just being, you know, coming from home, getting killed. She's like, I don't care. I'm going to the protest. And I was like, right. And I think for me, that's really like now my sister, all of us, we are a movement family. My parents yes. consistently worry, but they also are just very clear, I think, at their age that their generation worked so hard for us not to have to go through this. And not only are we going through the pandemic of poverty, racism, climate injustice, now with this corona thing where I'm sure like me, like y'all, I haven't seen my mom or dad now for nine months. Yeah. And it's killing yeah. me. They're like two hours away and I can't see my parents because we can't get tested even here in New York unless you're an essential worker. So my husband's a tested for me and my daughter just can't get tested, which means obviously I can't see my see parents mm-hmm. because I just yeah. wow. would feel her horrible if I had something and gave it to them but it yeah. you know i'm sure you are all going through the same thing with your families yeah so much uh to this conversation and i mean thank you so much for your time thank you for um uh, just being such a light being such an example for uh black women for afro-indigenous women like myself um it's something that um you know to the, you know, social media allows it to where I've been following you and I've been, you know, up on, uh, on, you know, all the things that all of the lessons you've been sharing before, you know, we've even met, but, uh, this conversation has really just been an honor and, uh, a really, you know, a blessing for us. And so thank you so much. And, um, where can people follow you if they want to follow you? Where can people, where should people go if they want to support any of your work? Well, Facebook and 
um, Twitter is at Rosa Clemente. On Instagram, my handle is Black Puerto Rican PhD. And um, on YouTube, people can see uh, the show um, that I started called Disrupt the Chaos. We had 29 episodes and now took a break to reassess the needs and also finally find some partners to grow the show. And we'll, we'll be back um, the day after Labor Day and my guest will be Chuck D. So I'm oh, really excited nice. about that. Yeah, we got yeah excited about that. <laughs> yeah, one of my yeah. favorites was Leah from... Uh, oh, Leah Penniman. Yeah, Farm. Yeah, oh, because so much from that yeah. episode. Yeah, and that's like 30 minutes. We live in Albany. Leah is in Troy. And all of us have been part of so fire farm family but my daughter has um with the youth was um in all the cohorts but yeah lee is no joke and that farming wall black is is real because you know in these times like we if we can't feed ourselves or there's no supermarkets in our neighborhoods like there are a lot of black people who are farming and and you know what leah has created with her family we out here you know it's so dope so dope, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like the one with uh Dr. Jared Bell too. Um, oh, Dr. Jared Ball, yeah, yeah, Ball, sorry, but yeah, Those, about um, the, uh, wealth in the black community and, and all that. Like, wow, yeah, the interesting Jared is one of my closest comrades. So I knew he's been doing this book for a while. What I told him was like, it's crazy that it's coming now in this process where everyone is questioning capitalism. Yeah. Um, but man, has he engendered a lot of hate. And what he's talking about is like this myth of black buying power, which is the same in the quote Hispanic community, right? So like we spent all this money. If we spent it right, we'd be free. Right. You know, and in nah. his book, <laughs> we can, right. and in his book, and he's, he's like, like, nah, this is propaganda machine. This is like yeah. a machine that's intertwined with mainstream black media because they're the ones that corporations will end up being like, all right, stop talking about us. Here's some money. But right. the myth and propaganda, black buying power, I was like, yo, it's crazy. It dropped exactly when it needed. It was supposed to come out last year and it didn't. Mm. So when it drop it was the height or where we were at with this coronavirus and the obvious economic um um fallout from it but yeah um he also has i mix what i like and he out of, of most of those people like that's my comrade we talk several times a day and like you know what the hell are we gonna do but everybody should get that it's actually free now but you could download digitally the book for free it's like 80 pages and okay. all people have to do is go to i mix what i like to see a lot of his work which is groundbreaking for sure cool. man Thank you for that. yeah that's the whole yes. game for free you got 29 yeah. <laughs> so she just gave you a book she yeah. gave you a lesson on hip-hop she gave you a lesson right. i mean on democratic politics <laughs> It's like, what else do y'all want from us? There's a lot she of gave it to you for free. <laughs> um, thank you, Rosa. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. You. And uh, we will be sure to continue to follow and support your work. Thank you for, um, you know, just being so dedicated and so committed to uh, to us, our people, our freedom. Uh, we just hope that, you know, as we continue to build and continue to organize, uh, that we're, you know, falling in those same steps. And so thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you. Uh, yeah, shout out to Rosa Clemente. Rosa. Yo, <laughs> right. <laughs> 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 um, right. 
correct. Uh, look, if it don't make it in, just know we meant it with all our heart. Like right. that was just some straight up Jamaican horns right there. Right. Uh, Man. <laughs> uh, shout out to Rosa Clemente. Now we move it on to the juice. I am uh, so devastated by this next thing. Uh, Look, work with us as we try and flip this into a positive because I was like terrified, Mm. like tragic, tragic death. Um, But, you know, it means we also have a new ancestor. And our new ancestor is Chadwick Boseman. Shout out to Chadwick Boseman. Um, You know, as the people say, may you um, rise in love and rise in peace and rest in freedom. Uh, So Chadwick Boseman, who most of you probably know as T'Challa from... Wakanda of Black Panther. Wakanda forever, baby. Yes. <laughs> Wakanda forever. Um, yeah, he passed, and I'm just so devastated. Uh, but um, you know, I'm here for the new ancestor, and you know, he will be on the altar. Yeah. Um watching us, watching over us. Yeah, he he played so many. He was battling cancer, died from cancer. So, you know, the work of um, of so many people who are actually working on men's health. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, everything from prostate cancer, colon cancer to hypertension, you know, um, all of the things that are, um, you know, kind of chronic disease and men's health mm-hmm. um you know that's something that we just have to continue to work on but yeah chadwick was battling cancer nobody knew about it in uh the years that he was battling this and no one knew about it he gave us what movies marshall black panther 21 bridges the five bloods recently oh excuse me i forgot about two avengers movies infinity war and in you can't don't look don't play the uh i'm just saying like this i'm just saying like avengers infinity war and avengers (laughs) endgame don't play us what um he did the spike lee movie the five bloods i mean yeah he has a movie that's coming out later this year black bottom and Mm -hmm. i mean for me i'm just like so people have been putting out the uh, Howard uh, commencement speech that he had. Shout out to Howard. Shout out to, you know, uh, everyone who graduated that year. But, you know, he was always, there was such clarity to his ideas around like, man, it ain't about a job. It's about purpose. You should be seeking purpose. You should be seeking, you know, um, like the very thing that you are put on this earth to do. He was clear. Yeah. I don't know how n- nobody knew about his uh <laughs> like dealing with cancer, his chemotherapy. Right. Uh y'all nasty ass fools was dragging him on Instagram uh for losing weight. Well, and, really and, right. Right. Uh he was really dealing battling. Yes. And so and please I, stay out people's comments about their yes. weight. Whether Thank they you. have been losing weight or gaining weight, stay out yeah. the people's comments. No shaming. You don't know what people are going through. And I think that's yes. exactly what Chadwick showed us. And then not only to mention the fact that he was battling cancer, when we think about movies such as Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, there's something that's not being highlighted. 
which is the fact that you have a man battling cancer, doing his own stunts. Yeah. Like, do you know how draining that is? Like, come yeah. on. So it's just a Listen, I'll be having my one-to-ones in my <laughs> daily life, and I'll be so right. damn tired of sharing myself <laughs> and, you know, doing my work. But, right. uh, yeah, this was, I mean, something spectacular. He is everything. He is, you know, uh, he taught us how to, um, you know be a king with a good heart on black panther he taught us how uh you know 42 you know um uh jackie robinson you know he he just gave us so much uh Mm. and he loved us and you know we love him and so shout out to our new ancestor um i just have a question for you i want to know what's the most important lesson that you've learned um from chadwick boseman uh, you want me to go first? Oh, you want me to go first? Uh, okay, yeah, go I'll ahead, go, go first. Ahead, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I mean, like for me, I feel like Black Panther was, I mean, there's just so many moments, so many, you know, lessons in that. And this is, you know, him playing T'Challa. Um, but T'Challa is um, at the United Nations. And I'm just going to read this because... I just thought it was just, you know, it's kind of a rally cry. And it's something that when we think about revolution, we don't think about so much. Or when we think about the radical moment that we're in right now, we actually don't think about it. And so he says, um, Wakanda will no longer watch from the shadows. We cannot. We must not. We will work to be an example for how we as brothers and sisters on this earth should treat each other. Now, more than ever, the illusion of divisions threaten our very existence. We all know the truth. More connects us than divides us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges and the foolish build barriers. Trump foolish ass. Um, Oh, okay. That's, I mean, (laughs) you know, prophecy. Um, (laughs) Um, We must find a way to look after one another as if we were one single tribe. And to Mm -hmm. me, he is making a call, not just in his character, but I feel like in his real life, based off of what people have said, right. To care for one another, like, you know, the, what justice looks like, right. Is the love, right. Who said that? Um, Cornel West or something. Um, mm-hmm. Is, uh, but is also care, right. Like right. abolishing the police, defunding the police is about investment into our community. It's about the care of our community. And so um, to me, this is so appropriate <laughs> for right now. This is something that I work constantly at right because the Mm -hmm. anger the rage the um internalized hate oppression all that shit that like when you're swimming in this white supremacist water you know when this when you're swimming in this racism like you learn and our biggest job is really to unlearn that and to learn how to care for one another to learn how to show up for one another to learn how to love each other and so this is my shit i'm i'm here for it you know, I'm, I respect the king. I'm grateful for the lesson. Talk to me about where you at. Let's see. Where I am with Chadwick's passing is I'm lost but hopeful. Um, I'll say lost because you you mentioned this. Like, 
here's this important figure who is going about his business, trying to show us the way on how to live our lives. Um, and he's dealing with so much that we did not know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was evident that we did not know because while he was yeah. coming out with these movies, none of us thought to say, huh, I wonder how he's doing like mentally, physically, what have you. Um, so when you, I don't know about you, but when I saw Black Panther, I got chills. I went and saw yeah. it three times because it was like, I just couldn't get enough. Um, it was at a time where my spirit needed it. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, um, we talked about how how hard it is on the black and brown communities. Like it's always like we're needing a win. And what Chadwick mm. was was constantly doing was although he played figures in a movie, he brought them to life. Yeah. And it was like, OK, here's this brother that, man, he's like knocking down bar- like barriers left and right. It's like, this gives me something to aspire to. And when I talk to younger kids that I, I mentor or even like my, you know, my siblings or, you know, the young folks in my, in my, in my family, it's like, they had the same sentiments. It's like, wow, look, this, I, I know this is a fictional character, but like, it makes me want to move that much better in my life, like bring some things into fruition that I've been thinking about for the longest. And I want to bring up actually two quotes, but the first quote, um, it's not actually something he said, but it's something that he lived by. Um, uh, Irma Bombeck actually first said this, but he he has like been quoted to, you know, say it as well, which is when I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would not have a single bit of talent left and could say, I use everything you gave me. Baby, he did that. Right, and it hits back to your purpose. Here you have, we talked about platforms. You have this actor who is making money, who could very well just go sit on, on, on his own little land and chill out. But instead, what was he doing? He was constantly in our communities. Not only that, you have an individual that was going out to, you know, add, add, add a smile to a kid's day. And yeah. uh, like St. Luke's, you know, um, excuse me, St. Jude's, um, where he's visiting kids with cancer and yet and still he's dealing with cancer himself. You don't know this, but he knows it, you know, but he's not using that as an excuse as to why I can't go forward. You know, he, he it. It's just so many emotions is coming to mind, Mary, and I can keep yeah. going on and on. No, no, and on. no, it's like, cool. We like definitely gotta keep ticking. Yeah. And and as someone who just had a birthday, is... I'm sure you're thinking about this, right? Absolutely. So yeah. you know, it's like, okay, what am I doing? And then me and you have had these conversations offline, to where it's like, I really got to get to my purpose. I got to get to my yeah. purpose. I got, I'm tired of yeah, I'm making money. I'm making good money in tech, good money. But is this what God wants me to do? How are people benefiting from what I'm doing? When I go to work, am I am I okay with the fact that I didn't I didn't close this multi-million dollar deal? But at the end of the day, I'm driving down the street and I see people out here in the Bay Area suffering from homelessness every day. So I'm knowing that that money is not going to them. So it's mm-hmm. like what if I'm if I'm having these thoughts. Obviously, my purpose is outside of this these walls yeah, that I'm just yeah. focusing. And that's not to say I can't do both, but it is a charge to me to say, hey, I got to go harder. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to compare myself to to anyone else that's going through, you know, struggles or whatever, whatever it is that they have going on in life. Um, well, it's all relative. I mean, like, someone yeah. else might. Right. It's all relative. It's all relative. Yeah. 
It's like yeah. your brother is dealing with cancer and still going. Yeah. I have my frustrations, but like sometimes I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I'm like, you know, I need to just mentally check out and it's okay to rest, but it's like, okay, I'm going to rest for a short while. Cause at the end of the day, it's a bigger picture that I got to keep focusing right. on. And, and that's what where we I know, am with it. Yeah. What we know in this capitalistic society, like mm-hmm. it's not meant to fulfill your purpose, right? No. It's meant to make money. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, as you continue to, uh, wade and work through that, um, we are going to support you. And I think this is what the Black and Brown Get Down is about, right? It's about conversation. It's about finding ways to show up for each other and mm-hmm. work through these hard conversations that sometimes are very like, it's a contradiction. It's, yeah. it's complicated, right? And um, so, yeah, you know, for sure, always jump in our DMs and let us know, you know, if there's something that we can help you think through. Um, we are going to move, uh, right along, um, to our rising ritual. Our rising ritual, as you all know, is something that we do in order to continue to, um, you know, the way that we keep our community strong, the way that we keep our traditions alive and our rituals alive is by practicing them. And so this is, um, same thing. Uh, so we are going to, uh, jump right into that. Um, okay. So today, um, you know, our rising ritual comes from our great, um, mama Asada Shakur, uh, and, um, a statement and now a mantra that is used in, um, movement work, um, from, um, a statement that she made called uh, to my people. And uh, this was a statement that was recorded and released while she was in um, imprisoned or in jail in uh, New Jersey. This was in 1973. Um, It was also broadcast over numerous radio stations. As we know, um, this was shortly after the, um, turnpike shooting. Uh, we know that, you know, Mama Asada is a Black revolutionary. She uh, was a part of, of the Black Liberation Army. And, and this statement and this talk, she was really talking about the corruption of the police, the structural violence, the structural inequity um, that exists between Black and white people. Um, She was talking about um, the American imperialism. She was talking about um, the American support uh, for all of the brutal wars abroad and the regimes that have been built. Um, She was talking about Cambodia, Vietnam, South Africa. And, you know, when we get to recite um, this mantra, many of you will remember it, but it's important to know the context of when this was and the moment um, that while even while she was in prison, she was given giving us something for the future. Uh, even that, that in 2020, right, we're holding on to. Uh, and so, you know, it's a call and response. Joe will do it in English. I will do it in Spanish. We'll pause shortly after each line so that you can join us for, um, for it. But um, yeah, we're going to go ahead. It is our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love each other and support each other. We have nothing to lose but our chains. 
es nuestro deber luchar por nuestra libertad. Es nuestro deber ganar. Debemos amarnos y apoyarlos unos a otros. No tenemos nada que perder más que nuestras cadenas. Asher. Um, yeah, and this is the part of what will continue to uh, help build that fire, sustain us, and the things that we can hold on to when shit gets rough like it is right now. And so we hope that you will continue to join us in um, both, um, you know, having this as a mantra and teaching it to others. Uh, we know that there's a lot of teachers that uh, listen to our podcast. And so uh, it's, these are the types of things that are great to teach young people so that, you know, we're doing again, the um, political education that's needed to sustain our movement and to build the next generation. And so thank you so much again for listening to the black and brown get down podcast, Joe. Amazing to have you again. Thank you um, so much. Yeah, subscribe and download to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please leave us a review and uh, and let us know that you enjoyed the episode. Slide in our DMs if you have any questions or if you want us to help you think through something that might be challenging or complex. Uh, and or if you want to recommend a guest, follow us on Instagram at the Black and Brown Get Down. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>